I'm Dee Brown, CEO, and welcome to this episode of Self Made. Joining me today is a world-renowned actor, producer, and singer. Please help me welcome Palmer Williams Jr. to Self Made. Palmer, happy to have you on the show. I am very blessed and extremely honored to be here, sir. So, Palmer, I want to um, set the stage for your story. Yes, sir. And I want to start by talking about when you were a little kid growing up in Mobile, Alabama. What was that like? Well, growing up, from my, my transition to Mobile, Alabama happened shortly after my mother's passing, when she passed when I was eight years old, because I was actually originally born in Camden, Alabama, and I uh, was raised there and bounced around from a bunch of different schools because we were in the Presbyterian Church School uh, Organization of America, and some of the schools were actually closing down. So my mother and father had to ping pong around quite a bit. And my father was my first principal and my mother was my first grade teacher and librarian there. <laughs> and uh, we lived in a, a Presbyterian church school community called Prairie, Alabama, right outside of Camden. And so from that, um, not even going to kindergarten, but went straight to first grade because we didn't have kindergartens. I didn't want to make it seem like I was just so smart. I just skipped <laughs> kindergarten. But no, we didn't have a kindergarten. So uh, growing up in that school community and being a part of a, a small family as opposed to a community, it felt yeah. like. And going from there and then after my mother's passing, uh, my aunt promised to take care of me until my father got his life back together. And I lived with her in Mobile, Alabama for about seven years. And then my father finally got remarried. And there is when I moved back to Camden, Alabama and finished my high school years there. So it, it was uh, quite a transition, yeah. uh, a, a lot of movement, a lot of uncertainties, if you will. But yet one thing still remained the same, and that was the certainty of family and right. family taking care of, of me. What was high school like in Camden? Camden High School was very, very interesting. Uh, going from a Catholic high school in Mobile, Alabama, McGill Tulin, I went back to Wilcox County High School and I went from a private institution to a public one once again. And it was a whole different uh, atmosphere. Uh, Camden is considered country, or as okay. I like to say, country than corn. You know, small uh, bass and white-tailed deer. <laughs> but at the same time, that's, you know, and forestry, that's what we were known for. But in Mobile, Alabama, more of a port city and a little bit more uh, diversity and lively uh, type of, uh, of a city. But when I went back to high school in Camden, it was like, I was a celebrity. And what I mean by that is that my father was the principal of the middle school, but he's also was truant officer after hours. Oh, wow. But then he had also served on the school board and he was also the book supervisor for the entire county. So we went back and forth with, uh, oh, that's Palmer Williams' son. That's Palmer Williams' son, even though I'm junior. Yeah. But I was living off of the uh, popularity of my father and a lot of the either teachers, parents, or even some of the students there presently had been taught by my father. So I was, I had become a local celebrity and then I started doing my own thing. I played baseball on the varsity team. I played football starting quarterback and did all of that as well as being in the choir and then got involved in school politics. So I really felt like I had a coming out party of blossoming, blossoming into yeah. uh, my, my academic life even more so than I had in the past. Were there any challenges that you faced? Oh, um, most definitely. 
What, what were some of the challenges? Uh, mainly the challenge that I would have is, once again, being Palmer Williams' son. Yeah. So there was a certain standard that everybody expected, and I had to live up to that. But also there were those that, as the young folks call, or even some of us call, haters. Yeah. You know, And so they always would try you or try to compete against you in some form or fashion. Um, I did enjoy the young ladies. Uh, at some point or another during my time there matriculating at Wilcox County High School. So that had to be a little bit of a an issue sometimes, too, because, oh, the new kid is in town, and, you know, oh, and they think he's rich and all of this because my father was a principal. And those of you who know about school teachers' salaries know that we were no stretch of the imagination rich. But it was that being a challenge. And then also I was singing a lot. I was doing all types of talent shows. Yeah. So a little hateration was going on there too. So the challenges were with, um, I just wanted to be me. Yeah. But then there were others that didn't want me to be and were jealous of that fact. And I couldn't understand anybody being jealous of me because I was just being myself. And until I found out what that ugly animal was all about, that it, it, it really kind of crushed me at one point. Went through a series of depression and all kinds of things, even though everything was going for me. Yeah. But at the same time, I just wanted to be loved for just who I was, right. as opposed to me having to force it. And that's where a lot of kids, I believe, get in trouble, especially with uh, the various forms of bullying. You know, you can be right. bullied and not even realize it. Right. So, yeah, those were some of the challenges. But uh, overall, I think because of my faith and because of my father, I, I was able to get through that with flying colors. So you graduate from high school. Yeah. What's next? So I thought that I was going to go to the University of Alabama. I was going to be a walk-on football uh, player. I thought I was that good, you know, in my own mindset, not according to our record <laughs> during the football season, but I, um, that was always a dream of mine. And I wanted to go there. I wanted to pledge Kappa there because it was the Crimson Tide and then it's Crimson and Cream. You know, I had it all planned out, you know, but I went to an actual Knoxville College Alumni Association meeting for the Greater Alabama chapter, which my father was the secretary at the time. And he asked me to come there and sing. And I did. And I was offered a vocal scholarship from the college president, Dr. Clinton Marsh at the time, uh, to come to Knoxville College. So I shifted, especially when my father never really pushed it. My father was a man that just sat back, listen, observe, give his bits of knowledge and let you marinate on that for, for a yeah. minute and let you make that decision. You know, so that it could be your decision. He didn't push, push, push. Right. But, but just for the simple and subtle things he said, you know, I'll be pretty proud if you did go. That's all I needed. Yeah. Because my father was my best friend as well as my dad. So there was no more decision to be made. After he said that, I wanted to go to the very same school that he met my mother, you know, and promised right. to come back from World War II and marry her. And so that was, you know, I had history there. And so I guess I was fulfilling a legacy. And now I'm praying that my, my children will also now follow in some of my footsteps, which I didn't anticipate them doing, which is now what they're doing in the various forms of entertainment. Right. So when did you become interested in acting and singing and all that? Well, I think that goes back to high school when I started singing and realized that girls like that. <laughs> that was uh, probably the, the catalyst. You know, I was a very shy kid. Believe it or not, I was very bashful, uh, thought I would never get a girlfriend because I was so afraid to say something to them. You know, uh, it was I was so pathetically nervous 
about meeting girls that I would say something to him and I would actually tear up and walk away because I was so nervous <laughs> about talking to a, to a young lady. So uh, as I grew out of that, thanks to some of the young ladies at McGill Tulin High School and at uh, Wilcox County High School that brought me out of that shyness and I was able to talk to them. And the singing kind of was like a way into even talking. Right. You know, and then when I got to college and started doing some of the things in the choral uh, uh, aspect of things and, and doing live performances that involved music as well as theater. It was, it was a natural marriage. And so then when I went on and thought I wanted to go and have a stint with the Navy, instead of going to the Navy, I drove to New York and I auditioned for the Apollo Theater. And when I did that, I actually won on the local level several times. And then eventually I got on the televised show where I won second place. But then they signed me to a management contract. So I was with uh, Apollo Theater uh, Management under uh, the um, tutelage of Mr. Percy Sutton, uh, who was the owner and also past Manhattan Borough President at the time, as well as a Kappa. So uh, the whole organization was run by his sons and nephews, all Kappas and all that sort of thing. So I just kind of fell in there right at the right time. It was the perfect time and toured Japan, did some other events. They had me on retainer and uh, pursuing a career. So that was a big jump start for someone that came from the little small town of Camden, Alabama. And then uh, I just decided that I didn't want to do the corporate thing. Uh, I didn't want to pursue my degree of health and hospital administration. And I said, I want to do this full time. And uh, fortunate enough for me that after bouncing from Knoxville, Tennessee to Florence, Alabama, where I stayed with my good friend, French Spencer, another fraternity brother, and started working with him in production of music, then also was working out of Atlanta. So that was like a, every weekend I would go to those three cities yeah. to work. And then eventually I got on with a, a show called A Good Man Is Hard to Find. And when I did that, I was on tour for three and a half years after being trained by Carpetbag Theater right there in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, under Miss Linda Paris Bailey. So I'd gotten that bug, gotten that right. bug through college. And uh, I just realized that, like, I actually can make a career of this, even though I was terrified at the time because, yeah. you know, all these school teachers in my family, we all had these structured jobs. And, you know, and here I am. I'm an actor because even my wife joked about one of her friends say like, so what does your husband do? Oh, he's an actor. Oh, he's unemployed. <laughs> you know, and, and I kind of took that like, oh, is that what you really think of us? And so that that was even another determination to make me even work even harder. Right. So when do you uh, feel that you got your big break? My big break. I think there have been several of those because I don't even think I'm at 40 percent of where I'm going to be yet. I think my first big break was the Apollo. Then after that, it was A Good Man is Hard to Find that was directed by the late, great David Payton. And then from that, starting to do background vocals for LSG, which is Levert, Sweat and Gill, Johnny Gill, yeah. Eddie Levert and, and Johnny, um, Johnny Gill. And when I would, would do that, I had already spent three years with Keith Sweat being his background vocalist and coordinator. So those were a multitude of breaks back to back. And then I jumped on the Monica tour and did the Lilla Fair uh, uh, tour and did the, uh, uh, what is it, uh, Nickelodeon tour. Did a bunch of different tours. And then finally, as I was visiting my aunt and talking with her, I... Um, uh, she told me about The Good Man's Hard to Find, did that tour. But then I ended up being in Atlanta 
and had been doing various plays. I had produced my own productions. So that was kind of a break there, too, because I was actually employing people and I found the joy in that. And then all of a sudden I got a phone call after I had done a liturgical dance piece at New Birth at uh, Bishop Eddie Long's church, another new yeah. uh, that, um, hey, uh, we want you to audition for House of Pain. And six days after that audition, I was actually on the show. They put the scripts after that day. I actually auditioned. It was less than 30 minutes later. They had someone to drive to my house and put the scripts on my front porch. And I had one week to learn those six scripts because we did them all in the next week. And that was only supposed to be six episodes. So now when I look at all of the seasons of House of Pain and the show that I did, Love Thy Neighbor, I've shot well over 200 and some episodes. Wow. So, yeah, it's just like a testament of how, like, uh, if you just be a good steward over someone else's stuff, you're going to be Lord over your own. And, you're, and your, your character can keep you in the places that you need to be in order to thrive and strive in what it is that you really, truly want to become. Right. And so you've been working with Tyler Perry for how many? 14, 15 years for 14, now. 14, 15 years now. What has that been like? It has been one of the greatest rides. I have learned what to do. I've learned what not to do. Uh, things that I have uh, learned from his organization have helped me to develop a style of directing and producing that I will do on my own things. And it also has influenced my children because my daughter's a theater major at FAMU. My, my, my middle son, he is a TV and production uh, uh, a major at Georgia State yeah. and my baby boy wants to major in communications so that he can become a D Brown or as well as being a sports agent. So there who's you never know when your children are really watching. And sometimes right. we don't think that we get through to them, but it is such an honor for them to honor me by wanting to do some of the very same things that I'm doing now right. and will continue to do until my last breath. How do you think um, working with Tyler Perry has influenced your career? Dramatically. I would say that because of the experiences that I've had being in Tyler Perry Studios and also doing the six tours that I did with some of the uh, theatrical productions that he has produced and written, it has uh, enabled me to believe and dream that I can do similar or same things or even better. Uh, he has created an atmosphere of learning, an atmosphere of diversity, an atmosphere of people seeing that they too can do this. You know, whereas we may not have seen someone of an African-American uh, uh, be able to amass such a, uh, an entity or a facility in which he has. This is his third uh, studio, which a lot of people don't understand. And if you really knew the magnitude and the, the massiveness of this studio, you understand the undertaking was nothing short of a God given miracle. And I, I think because of that and being able to see a lot of children cannot become what they don't see. Right. So even as an adult, I saw what I could become. I saw what my children could do. I see what my grandchildren, whenever they're born, will be able to do because someone has done it before them. And now you have an example and your 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 papa or your your, your granddaddy, whatever they decide to call me. Right. ATM, probably. But whatever they decide to call me, they can at least say, well, he did that. I know I can, too, because he's going to now equip me with the knowledge and the tools and the resources to do just that. Right. So tell me the story about 
how Tyler Perry discovered you. Oh, wow. Well, Tyler and I had, you know, bumped into each other a few times before because of the industry. Um, I had actually some of the, the Pace sisters, which uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, maybe not at the air, uh, time of this airing, but, you know, we've lost two of the Pace sisters within the last six months. And we just lost one recently. But I knew some of the cast members that he had in his first show. I know I've been changed. I was uh, supposed to be his understudy at one point, but it didn't work out. He'd started touring. I just had a baby girl and I wasn't trying to go too far away. And then I started doing my own productions. And then it got to a point where I started to sort of hone my craft at New Birth Missionary Baptist Church with Bishop Eddie Long. And he allowed me the luxury of airing my content to the entire congregation of 26,000 people over uh, the course of a Sunday, 26,000 people would pass through there, not counting online presence. Yeah. And so I was able to write, produce, direct at his expense and at the expense of uh, crashing and burning in front of all of these people. But because of that, eventually I got to this one particular skit where I actually played Jesus, which is by far a stretch of the imagination, me playing Jesus. <laughs> so I had to protect this little girl. And what it basically uh, was uh, derived from uh, an idea of that Jesus is protecting us. And it almost like Jesus uh, loves the little children of the world kind of thing. So from that, I am actually doing a liturgical dance with her. And the entire process was crazy because I didn't want to do it. I thought people were going to laugh at me. I'm not that kind of dancer. And I said, oh, well, you know, they're going to just laugh at me. But then someone said, you got to do it. And God spoke to me and said, like, you know what? You're two minutes away from the promise. Yeah. And so I said, OK, I'll figure it out later. I was complaining about gas because I was driving my 2001 Ford F-250 diesel. It was $5 a gallon then, which it is now presently again. And I, I was like, this is crazy. This is volunteer ministry. I had just been kicked out of the volunteer ministry at the church because somebody else wanted my position. A wow. non-paying position I got kicked out of wow. in church. That takes a special person to get kicked out of a volunteer ministry at church. So here was I was coming back and didn't feel it, and I was, had a little attitude, Finally did it at three weeks rehearsal. Church was just torn up after the performance. The next day, someone called my phone and my friend answered that was working with landscaping. We we're getting ready to go cut grass and all. And he said, somebody at Tyler Perry Studios wants you to come in for an audition. You'd have 11 or one. Which one do you want? Uh, I said, 11. Went in at 1015. I was in the parking lot, snotting, crying and praying. It's like, Lord, if you make me a good steward over this man's stuff, I know you're going to make me Lord over my own. Went in there, 15 minute audition turned into an hour and a half later that night they told me we want you i said you want me how so we want you to be on house of pain six days later i was shooting the episode the wow. first one and then it went on and finished the six six turned into 12 more 12 turned into five or six more then becoming a season regular then having another show called love thy neighbor on the oprah winfrey network that we did 126 episodes of that so and then going back to House of Pain and shooting more episodes, even to the point where we tied with the Jeffersons with the most uh, uh, sitcom uh, episodes of all time with an African-American cast. So and now we've surpassed that because now we're at, in the 400s. Wow. So this show has been going on for quite some time and has reinvented itself over and over again. So I've been a part of history. So I didn't want to do that ministry. 
I didn't want to go to rehearsals. I complained about all of the gas money and diesel I was spending. Right. But also in my heart that that was whispered in my ear that you're two minutes away from the promise. And that's what ended up happening. The promise started. And like I said before, I'm only 40 40 percent of where I'm going to be. Yeah. I know there's a whole lot more that I have yet to achieve. And I, I know that's coming. Do you remember the day that the first episode oh, yeah. aired? T tell me about that day. It was like, um, it was surreal. I, I could not believe that this little kid from Camden, Alabama that grew up on a dirt road, that's still a dirt road to this day, and grew up to loving parents and cancer destroyed our family, that now I'm on TV. Right. right. Now I'm on TV. So I know that um, your dad was very influential. Very much. Uh, in your life. Um, and I know that it was uh, his legacy that led to you uh, becoming a member of Cap Alpha Psi Fraternity yes, uh, Incorporated. Sir. Most definitely. Talk to me about uh, growing up and seeing him oh, yeah. uh, participate in the fraternity and, and how that inspired you to want to be part of it. What's so, so, so crazy, Mr. Brown, is that I did not know he was a Kappa for the longest. I saw a shield at my uncle's house. I said, yo, that is nice. Are you a Kappa? You know, because all of my middle school kids, we were like, oh, yeah, we're going to be this, we're going to be this. And I had chosen Kappa, yeah. not knowing. Now, how does that happen, right? Well, because of the fact my mother passed and I was back and forth from his house to my aunt and uncle's. And I was like, man, my uncle's a Kappa. He's like, your daddy got the same shield. Immediately, <laughs> you have a collect call from your son, you know, <laughs> and I called my dad and he told me about it. And it was just, I was over the moon with it. Oh, I couldn't wait to get back to middle school and tell, you know, my dad is a cap. I know I'm going to be a cap now, you know, and that sort of thing. So, and uh, it was the most amazing thing is when my father reached up under the table and gave me the fresh shake. Yeah. Never forget it. Man. It's supposed to be a... Good interview. It is. It's a good. It's a good interview. It's a good interview. Um, I want to ask you about uh, just advice for young people right. that may be considering uh, a career uh, in entertainment. I know it's a tough industry to break right. into. What kind of advice would you give? Run. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would tell you to run away. No, but uh, you have to have a very strong sense of yourself. You have to be really, really tough. And um, you can't have tissue paper feelings. Can't wear your feelings on your sleeves because um, when they see that you're weak, you'll get destroyed. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying that's for everybody. There are a lot of people that are really kind hearted and, and have your best interest at heart. But there are others that, you know, it's all about them and how they can find some way to utilize your gifts and your talents to uh, make themselves better right. or make themselves richer. So you have to be careful about how you uh, handle yourself, uh, what you promote yourself as, because they can always pigeonhole you into that. So you have to be very careful about what image you put out. Branding is everything. Yeah. Branding is imaging is also how you can take what it is that you offer as a gift or a talent and how you can monetize that without selling your soul at right. the same time and without selling yourself short of your full potential. Right. I choose to do clean comedy for the most part. And so therefore I can go into a comedy club and do comedy, but I can also step into a church and do the same exact material right. and not be embarrassed in my front of my family or my God. Right. So, you know, I would say more than anything, truly, 
make sure this is what you want to do. And everybody doesn't have to be in front of the camera. There right. are very lucrative careers behind the camera, as all of the cameramen probably will probably do their cameras like this or something. They say, <laughs> yeah, you're right. But you also uh, have to understand where your gifts and talents really lie and stay in that lane. And then venture out on that when you see that you have the aptitude, attitude, or the ability in order to do something different right. or do something within the same realm of that entire entity. So it's, it's, um, it's an amazing, amazing industry. And you get to get paid to pretend to be somebody that you may not necessarily be. Right. So you can go out there and pretend, you know, everybody wants to play dress up when they're kids. Everybody wants to play pretend, you know, and that sort of thing. Well, this is a grown-up pretend. Right. You know, that even starts with child, childhood all into adulthood. And then the beautiful part about it is that art imitates life. Right. So they have a lot of people from a lot of different diverse backgrounds. And that's why you see older actors working until they can't. Right. Because they still can't, because they still represent life. That's why there's such a fight for diversity in, in, and inclusion in a lot of different uh, forms of, of entertainment because we see that every day. Right. So it would be something different if, you know, I'm sitting here and you're going to interview someone from Mars next. Right. That's not our everyday life right. to have a Martian to sit here. Right. I'm sure they're probably good at what they do, but <laughs> that's not our everyday life. Yeah. So we have to show what is our everyday life. And it goes back to when, you know, he said with the young people, they cannot become what they don't see. That's why it's very important for when I go back to Alabama and give to Bama kids. Right. My good friend, Cheryl Threggill, you know, she's big on taking care of the children down there in Wilcox County. And then when I go and do various shows at various high schools and speak to kids and all this, so all that stuff means that I, I'm giving back because the greatest gift that you can give is to give. Absolutely. And that I could, is a I, secret I, I of life. I couldn't agree with you more. And you have done an outstanding job at giving back and giving inspiration and hope to uh, to our people. So for that, I'm very grateful. I appreciate you taking the time out your busy schedules to be uh, on Self Made. Yes. I know that you just got finished shooting a new season of House of Pain. Congratulations yes. to that. Thank you very much. To my viewers, thank you for watching this episode of Self Made with D Brown CEO. And remember, without you, there's no me.